This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to another Art Examiner Football Show. I'm Larry Ryan. Today we'll have Manchester City fan and ESPN writer Simon Curtis to talk Everton Man City. A game that Pep Guardiola insists that City controlled. We'll have um, Chris Hatterall and Lee Mackey along to discuss United Liverpool, a game in which Josie Marino insists Man United played all the football. Um, and while Diego Costa wasn't at Leicester on Saturday, Simon Collins was, and he'll talk about the future of Chelsea's enigmatic striker. And finally, our fantasy football expert Ken Rooney will also be along to help the managers amongst you on the verge of throwing your hat at it completely. Um, but first, we'll have Man City writer Simon Curtis, who writes for ESPN and others. Simon, um, last time we talked, City had beaten Arsenal. Um, Pep had seemed to be warming to the English journalists. There was a little bit of PR initiative going on. What has gone wrong since? <laughs> well, uh, as far as yesterday's concerned, I keep thinking of the of the, the typical pre-game mantra for, for teams going to Goodison Park. Uh, we're all saying to each other, if we can match them physically, we'll give them a game. And plainly, that, that happened. Um, we made it far too easy for, for Everton to, to come through the midfield areas. There was no real grit, either at the back or in the midfield. Uh, so many things wrong with it. Uh, you don't really know where to start. You know, mm. if, if you talk in general, I think there are maybe four or five major issues that Guardiola still has to get under control. First one was very evident yesterday. Again, we had 30, 34 minutes of good possession, um, but with nothing to show for it. Um, Kevin De Bruyne had started well. There were three or so dangerous balls in from the the flanks from him. Silver and Sterling were making headway, but then you get to the the final third and it, they start dallying with it and, and nothing comes of it. The, the ball isn't uh, fired towards the goal. Mm. And as soon as Everton got a chance, they won up. You know, once again, I think for the fourth game in the last seven, our opponents have scored with their first proper shot on goal. Yeah. Uh, straight down the middle, straight into Lukaku and straight past Bravo. So that's certainly an issue. This this pass 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 yeah. uh, mantra um, is just not not going to work unless we have the players to to play the system and unless we can put away the chances. Second issue is is the goalkeeper. Um, a lot of people now uh, very critical of Bravo. Not sure that's totally fair still. Although his 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 stats look 
awful. Yeah, um, there doesn't seem any saves in there, really. That seems to be the problem, isn't it? Well, no, because he's not getting many to, to yeah. practice on, you know. Yeah. I think Everton had six chances and put four of them away. Uh, I don't know what his season stats are, but it's something ridiculous. He's led him 14 in 24 shots, I think, yeah. which is not great, but he, he's not getting much practice. The problem is in front of him, the defence is, is melting away, uh, two, two again yesterday were, were handed to Everton on a plate um, Clichy gave the first one away cheap possession given away mm. Yaya Toure gave uh, the third one away and in between two other goals which could have been could have been stopped Tom Davis going through on the on the right side of the box he chipped Bravo Otamendi then chose to fall flat on his face if he stayed on his feet he could have cleared it um, and the last one the, the, the young sub uh he didn't actually hit it very well, and perhaps because he didn't connect properly, uh, it fooled everybody and went straight through the keeper's legs. You know, it's not looking great for Bravo, but uh, but still, uh, a comedy of errors, really. Yeah. Um, another issue which has been with us all season is the defence. Um, John Stones again yesterday. Uh, he's calm on the ball, but he's also a little bit lax. He, he goes to sleep. The last goal, he just blasted his clearance into Coleman. Uh, perfectly setting up uh, uh, the, the running on goal. Um, Otamendi, you know, you think, what, what do we get from an Argentinian centre-half? You want grit, you want guts, you want that gara that they talk about in Argentina. And the, the first chance he gets, he's chest-to-chest chest with Lukaku and goes down like a sack of spuds, you know. Um, it's not a good look, yeah. That's, that's not working either. Yeah. Um, so this physical stuff, City just aren't up to it. If, uh, if if Everton had played like they did under Roberto Martinez, it would have been fine. We had a, a lull there when Martinez was in, in charge and everything went great because uh, his Everton side wanted to play play ball. Um, but under Moyes, and now again, apparently under Koeman yesterday, uh, they wanted uh, a much more aggressive approach, which we couldn't cope with. So where, where do you stand on the John Stones question? I, every time I, I, I watch Match of the Day, particularly Match of the Day 2, they seem to be explaining to us why it's not all John Stones' fault, you know? But um, I get the impression... Well, I don't think it is, to be honest. I think £50 million pounds for, for something that's still being termed raw talent is, is slightly too much to be honest but yeah, uh, yeah. no it's not all his fault he's, a, he's an accomplished defender um, in the right situations but with Otamendi alongside him and two ancient fullbacks uh, dallying yeah. around outside him um, there are things bound to happen you know stuff's bound to go around, wrong unfortunately and, and it is doing and that's going to batter, batter his self-confidence I, and 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 with, I mean Zaba, a midfield two of um, Zabaleta and Yaya Toure as well wouldn't be the, it wouldn't inspire a whole pile of confidence, splendid, would you? Absolutely splendid. <laughs> um, chugging along the pair of them, yeah. uh, I, I suppose it's not it's nowhere near Pep, Pep Guardiola's first choice defensive midfield axis, but yeah. that's what he was left with yesterday. His first choice would be, of course, Gundogan and, and uh, Fernandinho, neither of which were available for obvious reasons. But, you know, that's, that's what he's got to play with, unfortunately, and it's nowhere near good enough. They, uh, Having said that, they were overrun by, by what? Gareth Barry, who hmm. is equally ancient, and, and young Davis, who, who looked excellent, but, you know, he's playing his second or third game. Yeah, sure, sure. And what, what has happened to the, 
to that PR initiative we thought I mean he, Pep, he, he's getting gloomier by the week he, he, he's completely cheesed off with the English journalists asking him how this is different to, to Spain and, and Germany and all that um, strange you know, one isn't it uh, you, you keep we keep making parallels with, with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool because uh, although he's had a, a bit of extra time to get used to it all, you know, he's another high-profile foreign coach trying to do the same thing in the English game. And to be honest, when you look at Liverpool and you look at the likes of Spurs playing this high-pressing game, this energetic, fast-move-the-ball-around game, it works well. Um, the only time City seem to be able to make it work is when the opposition are, are supine, when they let City have as much space as they need. I'm thinking of Stoa Bucharest, I'm thinking of West Ham in the FA Cup. Mm. They just sort of open the spaces up and then City look magnificent. Um, uh, whether Guardiola can come to terms with this or whether he's too stubborn uh, or whether he's just got to wait and we've all got to be patient until uh, he can get the personnel in that can properly uh, carry out his plans. And I guess it's the last because this club has been waiting a long time to, to put all this Barcelona-esque uh, apparatus into position. Yeah. They're not just going to throw it to the four winds after half a season of, uh, of dallying around. You would imagine not, no. I mean, I suppose, yeah, rather than turn City into Barcelona, he's kind of closer to turning it, turning them into Arsenal at the moment, really, isn't he? Well, I keep thinking of Arsenal. When you, I, I mentioned David Silver and Ryan Sterling in particular from yesterday. Uh, the ball was being worked forward well. The, the possession was dominant, City were looking good for the first half an hour. If David Silva had put one away instead of doing little circles around Rob Les, <laughs> if Sterling hadn't taken yeah. a couple more touches than he'd needed, we probably would have been uh, at least uh, level at half-time with the prospect of doing something in the second half, or maybe even ahead. But they don't. They, even for the penalty shout with Sterling, he took an extra touch instead of just walloping it. Um, it reminds me greatly of, of the old Arsenal team, which I, I love to watch, but they were infuriating, you know, because they just wanted to walk the ball in all the time. But just finally, Simon, is the... I, I, I know a few of the papers have, have said, Pep said that the title challenge is gone. I'm not sure he quite said that, but uh, what do you think? Is there a way back? I think that was a big defeat yesterday, um, not just because it was a defeat and because it was at Everton again, but because of the way... Uh, they caved in in that second half. There was no real fight back. Um, they still, they were still passing it square. You know, three down with a quarter of an hour to go, when we really needed to shift up a couple of gears. Um, I, I'm beginning to feel like it might be a season where everybody has to be a little bit patient, um, and that there could be possibly an FA Cup run, and might even be a decent run in the Champions League to come, because I'm sure. Certainly, European competition will suit this style of play better. Um, but the longer the, this goes on with, with three or four decent performances, two or three wins, and then a catastrophe like yesterday again, which mirrors the games at Liverpool, at Tottenham, at Leicester, where everything fell apart completely, um, you don't see it happening, do you? That was Simon Curtis there, Manchester City fan and writer with ESPN. Now we'll talk Liverpool United. We have... Chris Hather on the line who did the game for the Irish Examiner uh, yesterday and we also have Irish Examiner footballer correspondent Liam Mackey and uh, Ken Rooney's also joined us in the meantime um, Ken is our fantasy football expert um, he reads column every Friday in the Irish Examiner so he'll join in as well We'll start with you Chris um, Joseph Mourinho seemed to think it was all uh, United played all the football yesterday and Liverpool only defended what did you think? Yeah I did. 
I thought Liverpool were excellent for, for, for a lot of the game, actually. Yeah. Um, but but what, what I find interesting this morning is all this talk about the Manchester United long ball seems to be dominating the headlines. And I find that a little strange because in, in, in the end, if you've got Ibrahimovic up front, why wouldn't you want to get the ball to him quickly? And if you've got Fellaini, why wouldn't you want to get the ball to him quickly late in the game? It seems to be a real snobbery uh, in England about long balls. It's got to the stage where or a team resorts to long balls, but hmm. it's still part of the game. And I'm, I think United had to go for it at the end because Liverpool had played so well. Yeah, Liam, Liam, what do you think? I thought um, Liverpool seemed to have weathered the storm a little bit in the middle of that second half, the long ball stuff. And then, with maybe about 15, 20 minutes to go, they seemed to panic a little bit and were sort of kicking it away. And um, United looked to be there for, take, there for the taking on the break, but maybe Liverpool didn't really have the kind of conviction to go for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I agree with Chris that I thought uh, Liverpool played really well, but I, I actually think... United probably had the better goal chances in, uh, particularly in the first half, and and there was sort of an argument that Mignolet was was almost the man of the match, particularly given a lot of the big players of the day didn't didn't really show up and didn't do themselves justice. Um, I mean, the better goal chances I think clearly were United's in the first half, despite the fact that Liverpool were the better side. Uh, and I'm thinking of you know the Ibrahimovic uh, free Mkhitaryan's chance when Mignolet had to get up a big strong left hand to stop mm. it. Um, and I, I thought Liverpool were extremely good without the ball in the way that we know they have been under uh, under Klopp, like the pressing really rattled United. Ibrahimovic was uh, largely anonymous for long parts of the game. Pogba, we probably needed to devote an entire podcast to because he just had a complete nightmare. In fact, he had another of the really good chances for United in the first half. And when he dragged his shot wide of the target, didn't even get it on target. So I thought Liverpool were having the better of it in the overall uh, uh, ebb and flow of the game, principally because of that high pressing, and they just they just harassed United, they had all their energy going into shutting them down and stopping them playing and, and developing supply lines. I didn't think they'd done an awful lot themselves in an attacking sense in the mm. way that we've seen them in their pomp under Klopp. Um, overall, I thought it was disappointed from that point of view. I thought it was a, a real blood and thunder game, which, which you would expect from from Liverpool Man U, but I don't think it was one for the purists. And as for the long ball stuff, I, I totally agree with Chris. I think there's, there's real snobbery about the long ball. Um, I mean, it's not that, that United were just uh, booting it out from the head the whole whole game long. Mourinho is a pragmatist, and, and, and we know he is, and, and nothing sums it up more than the way he's retained faith in, in Marlon Fellaini. It was only five weeks ago, Fellaini came off the bench, gave away a clangor of a penalty against Everton, uh, United dropped two points and then the following week against Spurs he came off the bench again I think Mourinho was making a statement uh, the crowd turned on him and actually that was the game that uh, began the, the winning streak for, for United yeah, they saw that one out 1-0 with Fellaini has a role to play off the bench and he played us uh, when United needed a goal and, and I, I don't see what's wrong with it they particularly was I don't think they were long ball all game I think that's just Klopp putting a spin on us I think they were very definitely long ball in the last 10-15 minutes and to be fair to Fellaini it was his header which came back off the post that um, that resulted in the equaliser and, and in fairness to Ibrahimovic he'd been largely anonymous throughout the match it was a classic moment from him I mean he is a game changer it was a great piece of improvisation. There was only one way he was going to get that header into the net by getting under it and really getting power and looping it. And he did exactly what he had to do. And I think 1-1 was a, was a fair result. 
for the game, which really the ultimate winners from were, were probably Chelsea and Spurs. Chris, uh, Liam mentioned Pogba there. Uh, do you think having emoji versions of yourself on every side of the stadium can be a distraction for a player? Well, it did seem like that, didn't it? Because there was an inevitable that if he didn't play well in this match, those, uh, the internet was going to go mad with all sorts of emojis taking the mickey out of him, and that's the way it turned out. I mean, Pogba's had a decent start to his United career, but I think there's a lot more to come from it. But he's clearly still got a lot to learn despite the price that he came for. I think United can be reasonably happy with how Pogba's done, but he wasn't—he didn't have the impact that you were hoping for in, in, in the biggest game of all yesterday. It seemed like United. Well, in, fact, had... in fact, the impact he had, Chris, was was disastrous. <laughs> yeah. Negative. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a funny player, Pogba. And, and what you said there, there's more to come from. I, I always have a feeling watching Pogba, and, and this was true at playing for France in the Euros as well. Uh, there's always something about him. It's almost as if playing the game at times is too easy for him. Um, he's, he's incredibly strong he's a tremendous range of passes and you always feel that this guy's got more in him uh, this guy can go up another gear certainly to justify the, the most expensive player in the world Billy uh, which he doesn't look like but he does look like a player with, with just, just enormous quality that he doesn't always tap into and I, and I think the reverse side of that is that if he's not fully concentrated and he's not giving his all his head can seem to go it's, it's, it's something to do with discipline I think something to do with attitude and certainly yesterday it, it wasn't happening for him and he kind of fell apart I mean the, the penalty he gave away was, was inexplicable I mentioned the mess the, the miss in front of goal earlier which was, which was kind of ham-fisted and just generally it was, it was a really really poor game for Pogba I mean he didn't he didn't make the kind now I know partly again in credit Liverpool the way they got after the United players and giving them no time on the ball that certainly would affect someone like Pogba Liverpool did a really good job but it, it was his impact yesterday, and this was the big game, you know, the one, these were the games he was brought in to United to, to run. These were the games he was brought in to dictate, certainly on the basis of his reputation. Mm. And uh, he's got a lot of rebuilding to do, despite the good form he'd shown over the previous nine games, I think. Speaking of that, I, I think what would, worry, what would worry me about, you know, some of the things that went wrong for him yesterday was that his defending was, was, was pure bad technique in terms of the way he defended. And that, that's something that you wouldn't expect of a player that costs so much. Um, so he certainly had some work to do on how he defends set pieces, that's for sure. Especially oh, sure, he was lost. He was all at sea. I mean, I know we've all watched the... And, you know, with the, with the benefit of watching forensic video replay and analysis on TV and so on. But it was, it was kind of quite shocking. I mean, he, was, he, was, he didn't know where he was for, for uh, quite a few of the corners that yeah. came in. So, yeah, an awful lot to do. But I also think he didn't do what we know he can do in, the ga- in games at all yesterday. And, and, and neither did Ibrahimovic, except that Ibrahimovic, as I mentioned earlier, is one of these players who he, he, just, he just requires one chance or one moment in a game and just because of the quality he has and the imagination he has and, and, and that arrogance he has to do things other people won't try and the belief in himself, um, he, 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 he salvaged the point for, for United. But overall, I thought, I thought United's big players. Um, Mkhitaryan as well wasn't as good as we know he can be. And, and it goes back to the point you made at the beginning, Chris. I, I think an awful lot had to do with the way Liverpool set up. Having said all that, again, I think United had better goal chances. Um, and so in the end of it, probably probably the draw just about reflect, reflected fairly enough on how the game went. Like a, a, a sort of a narrative seemed to have built up in recent weeks that uh, of the United revival. Um, and a lot of narrative this season seem to have been built around kind of teams having soft runs of fixtures, you know. Um, 
like it's happened with Arsenal at least probably twice already this season. But is it really a revi- or do, do, where people get a little bit carried away with United as soon as they come up against a team really who can you know who can match them? They didn't look particularly impressive, did they? Well, uh, to be fair, the, the beginning of that run, I made the point in a, in a column on Saturday previewing the game, precisely that point, that the big caveat and the big health warning that had to be put in about United and this belief that finally, you know, everything was, was sunny again at Old Trafford and, and, and Mourinho was Mr. Happy after being Mr. Glum for so long and everything was starting to click. The big caveat was that run of games. I mean, I think it was six, on the, on, six wins on the spin in the Premier League going into yesterday's games. And, and they were against, okay, West Brom, a decent team, mind you, uh, not so much the weekend, but, you know, it was Crystal Palace, it was West Ham, it was, it was, it, it was Hull. They, they were not heavyweight contenders by any means. So that was a caveat. The only thing was they'd begun the run by beating Spurs. Uh, and that was a big game. And so I think more, uh, I think particularly at Old Trafford, yeah, people were entitled to expect more than yesterday. But it does, reassert the question that had been there earlier they've clearly kicked on under Mourinho Mourinho I think I would argue has been changed more by Manchester United than he has changed Manchester United by which I mean that I think he's beginning after an initial period of being straight down the line Mourinho I'm the boss we do it my way I think he's beginning to realise you actually have to sanction a more attacking approach if you're a Man United manager. I think it's the bottom line demand of the Stratford end and has been for years. You hear them vocally making that clear. So I think he's kicked on. I think it's a happier place. But yesterday's game, and a really big game, just showed you that there's a, lot, there's a long way still to go and, and certainly not title contenders. It's the history Mourinho, really. He makes a big impact at clubs pretty quickly. And certainly, you know, he did that at Chelsea. And on both occasions, you know, when he was at Chelsea, and and I think that you know you can expect a, a good one first couple of years from Mourinho whenever he arrives at a new club. So I I, I would think that United probably they're peak under him next year, um, mm. but they've got a good opportunity because if when you talk about the fixtures being a little kind to them, the, the forthcoming fixtures are perhaps even better between now and April. I don't think Manchester United play. They play only Manchester City away, and that's the only top six team they play between now and April. You compare that to Liverpool; they've got Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, um, and I think Everton as well, all, all, all in that same period. Mm. So, so there's opportunity here for United to, to, to move nearer to Liverpool in the next few months if they can continue that momentum. Chris, uh, uh, speaking of Liverpool, Coutinho made an impact when he came on, certainly before fading out later. How badly do Liverpool need these big players back considering their upcoming fixtures? The other thing to consider from yesterday is, 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 is what squad Liverpool had available to put out at Old Trafford because Coutinho is so important to him and he showed that in glimpses, didn't he, when he, came on, when he came on later in the game and I think he will make a big difference to how they cope with the next few months especially if they've got so many games against the bigger side. I, I, I agree completely with that and... and uh, I thought the other night against Southampton, which was a worrying one in the League Cup for Liverpool, because they just lacked that high-energy approach. They were, they were uncharacteristically sluggy, sluggish. And I thought when Coutinho came on, as you would expect from, from somebody coming back from, from the time on the sidelines, he looked a little bit rusty, wasn't quite at it. And he was much closer to what we know he's capable of when he came on yesterday. And he's a fantastic player. I think he's Liverpool's most important player. That very first reverse pass was just pure Coutinho and was that little bit of guile that Liverpool needed and the game needed. Uh, and yeah, having him back is going to make a, is going to make a huge difference. But I, I think they're also going to miss Sadio Mane, Chris, you know. 
Um, I just think with his power and directness of running, I think he adds hugely to the pace at which Liverpool can play. So he's going to continue to be a big miss while he's, while he's out of the African uh, Cup of Nations. Um, but I, I, I just have a feeling now that, that with Chelsea sort of getting back to, to, to winning yesterday, um, I, I just, I'm starting to think now that really Spurs are looking like they would have said Liverpool up till, up till a couple of weeks ago and then that little minor blip of three games where they didn't win. I, I suddenly think Spurs seem to be coming back into their own again and maybe, maybe the most realistic challengers to Chelsea now. I don't know what anybody else thinks. But uh, Chelsea is certainly you know, a long way ahead of everybody else at the moment, other than Tottenham, who seem to me the most consistent team, perhaps, mm. uh, in the Premier League this season. Every time I've seen them, I thought there's, there's something there at Tottenham, there's something that's building, um, and they haven't yet reached their full potential. I think Tottenham are going to be one to watch for a long time. I, I, I think so, yeah. And I think if Pochettino has made such an enormous in, uh, impact in that club, and if Dele Alli, there's always that. There's been that slight question about Ali just over his temperament. Um, and he's just, he's an outstanding player and he's going to be one of England's great, great all-time players as long as he kind of looks after that aspect of his game because he's got everything else. And, and if Harry Kane stays fit and keeps scoring, and they look really, really solid now, Spurs, which is not a word uh, that would traditionally have been applied to Spurs. And they look really strong everywhere and, and with a couple of extra little bit of quality. Um, and yeah, I, I, they're, they're now the ones for me who look uh, like, like the real, real challengers to Chelsea. Um, but, but Chelsea, but Chelsea it's, it's still going to be hard for anyone to catch them even at, at this stage in the season, I think. Okay, lads, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much, Chris and Liam. Uh, now we have Simon Collings on the line. Simon was at the, uh, at the King Power Stadium on Saturday for um, Chelsea's win, unlike Diego Costa. Uh, Simon... Uh, did we did we manage to pin down with um, with Conte after the game? What exactly is the situation with Costa? Um, well, it's, it's very much um, you know a story of, of two tales because on Friday, obviously, when the news broke about Diego Costa and, and the bust up with the fitness coach, it was reported widely that he had an offer from China for, for thirty million pounds a year. His head had been turned, and in his sense, he, he was quite keen to go. Um, but after the match. Conte came out and said Diego Costa has a back injury mm. um, he hasn't been training since Tuesday um, he could be back next week and he was repeatedly asked you know, in the end someone said is Diego Costa going to play for Chelsea again and he said why not so depending on whether you're glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy you could take that as in he refused to confirm it or he refused to deny it so yeah. it's very much who you believe at the moment whether you believe Conte and Chelsea, or whether you believe the words coming out of the Costa camp, so it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, he was very much on a, on, a, on a charm offensive after the game. He was going around taking people's cake and stuff in the press conference, um, trying to sort of keep the uh, the positive um, sort of image of Chelsea season, I suppose, going. Yeah, I mean it was that. I mean the, the whole thing with the cake was very much almost a, a sort of a leaf out of Mourinho's book, very Machiavellian. And, and afterwards, a lot of the talk on social media was about Conte having this yeah. piece of cake and not about Diego Costa. So, yeah. from a past cynical point of view, you could think Conte's manufactured this situation. Everyone's looking at this lovable Italian rather than trying to grill him about whether Diego Costa's going to play for Chelsea again. What's your What's your feeling on it? Do you think Do you think Costa will play for Chelsea again? Um, I, I feel that he will, just because 
Chelsea's stance, I think, will be so strong that they will just refuse to sell him. Um, I mean, we know what Bramlich is like as a businessman and, and an owner, and you can't see him being bullied. And if they save the cost of them, there's absolutely no way you're going now. Perhaps in the summer we can revisit. Given Diego Costa's personality, what we know about him, his competitive edge, I can't see him being, OK, I'll sit in the reserves for six months. I think when he goes in the summer, that could happen. But I think right now, Chelsea won't sell. And for Costa, his personality, he'll say, OK, I'll play at the end of the season. But we saw what Costa was like last season when he's, let's say, his heart wasn't entirely in things. Um, are we going to see? Are we going to sort of see see that from him again? Do you think? I mean, that that is a big worry for for Chelsea because in the summer he was apparently very keen on on going to Atletico Madrid and, and back home, where he also had a very good spell. And given Conte's attitude is no nonsense, could Conte go beyond and, and just drop him and, and play someone else? Um, I don't see that happening. I, I think Costa seems different to last season and obviously he can come back a bit and I think if if, um, if Conte can calm him down and, and get him back on side then I don't think we'll see the sort of strop we saw from Costa last season Simon uh, there's talk of bringing Lorente they played Hazard up top uh, in Costa's absence do Chelsea really need to, to figure this problem out sooner rather than later? Yeah I think that is the issue I mean if they're going to get rid of Costa they, they're going to have to bring someone in um, for the simple viewpoint that it doesn't really look like Conte fancies Michi Batshuayi. I mean, we've seen him a bit in the EFL Cup, occasionally in the FA Cup, but even on, on Saturday, rather than play Batshuayi, you would think is a more like-for-like replacement for Costa. He played Hazard as a false nine. So if Costa's going to go, they're going to have to work it out. Is Llorente the answer? I don't think as your number one striker, he can be the answer. I mean, as a backup for Costa, he'd be great. Obviously, Conte played with him, uh, trained with him at Juventus, so he knows all about him. If they're going to get rid of Costa, they're going to have to bring someone in. And the names that have been linked today in the English press are Pat Morata at Juventus, Lukaku at Everton. But it's going to be a situation because they can't go the rest of the season, I think, playing Hazard as a false nine or Batshuayi as the backup. I think if Costa goes, they're going to have to spend. Yeah, how good were they on Saturday, uh, Simon? Um, I mean, they were very, very good. Um, it was almost though it seemed it was all very easy for them. Um, Leicester, they, they struggled with the formation they were playing. I mean, Leicester tried to sort of match Chelsea. They went three at the back. They had Books, Morgan and Hood. When they went 1-0 down after five minutes, that plan almost went out the window and they had to change things up. And towards the end, they ended up with Wilfred Ndidi, who was a midfielder playing centre-back. Albrighton was playing right-back. Mm. And it just felt that Ranieri almost got muddled in how to try and deal with Chelsea. And Chelsea looked great. Hazard was, was fantastic leading the line. But again, with that, if you're playing a team like Leicester with, with Morgan and Hoot, big centre-backs, you arguably want someone like Hazard who will pull them out to areas they don't want to go and he'll drop off and he'll go behind. So it worked very well. But going forward with you know 18 Premier League games left, you need something other than Hazard. You need a Costa-type player. And, and Conte said that afterwards, it's nice to have this plan B of Hazard, but he needs two plans going forward with attacking players. Because they didn't look particularly impressive, Chelsea, against Tottenham. I mean, it was it was a pretty even game against Spurs, but you know when their when their system was matched up and when they didn't have the sort of space that they that they that they get so often against the poorer sides, they didn't they did seem to lack a little bit of creativity, even 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 against Spurs with Costa there, and he caught a frustrating yeah. figure, obviously, in that game. I don't know if that has anything to do with uh, what happened in, in 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 the few days after, but 
he did look a frustrated figure through that match. Yeah, you wonder how long this this offer from China has been on been on the cards because mm. there was reports that even even in November apparently there were murmurings that Chinese um, agents were trying to broker a deal between them. So he, he would most likely have known about this before the January window. Yeah, and I think in that Tottenham case, that was a, a case of Chelsea playing a sort of seven out of ten, and I mean, Tottenham were fantastic that night. I think and, yeah, and brilliant going forward. But we will see, I think, in this second half of the season whether Conte's system will be found out by other coaches because the 3-4-3's played is very new and now everyone's at least played them once you think every manager would have an idea of how to play it once he saw Tottenham match it Leicester tried to go three at the back so I think this second half season will really see how good Conte is tactically and whether he tweaks it a bit and tries to change it because it's not going to be as new to teams as it was during this first half Simon, uh, Nathan Aki was brought back from his loan at Bournemouth and uh, didn't look very happy about it and didn't make the squad against Leicester. Where do you see him fitting in at Chelsea? I think for Chelsea, the, the idea with him is, is predominantly probably in that left wing-back position because obviously Marcus Alonso plays there and when he hasn't played, Pedro's sort of building on the left there and with Ake, they have an out-and-out left-footed player which helps, whereas Pedro's obviously a right-footed player. And also for Ake, he can play in the back three, which he, he did at times for Bournemouth. But with someone like John Terry coming towards the end of his stay, I think the idea is if they can get Ake in now, give him six months of getting used to the squad, getting used to working on the content next season, it'll be quicker for him to come straight in. And that loan recall, which Chelsea put in the loan agreement in the summer, they activated that, I think it was around 24 hours before it expired. So it was very much a last-minute thing for Conte because he had the first week of January, he was... Chelsea had stated that they could bring the player back and they waited till about the 6th. So they took their time with it, but obviously Conte decided, no, let's get it back now. I want him working with the squad. And going forward, I think he will have a part to play in that Chelsea squad. Simon, so, mean, a slightly related note to Leicester and their troubles. Um, I mean, their success last season, it was meant to sort of herald some kind of a... Uh, socialisation of the, of the Premier League the money was meant to the money that everybody was on was meant to sort of spread the quality through the league and we were going to have a more competitive Premier League than ever but but this season basically it's the top six with Everton sort of hanging on and the rest um, and every time one of the top clubs gets a, a kind run of fixtures they go on a run that kind of propels them up a couple of, a couple of places on the table like what, what has become of the rest of the clubs why have they been sort of um, performing so badly this season do you think I mean, I think we've seen, given what happened last season, and, and as Ranieri's been speaking about it a lot, a lot this year, given Leicester's troubles and saying, you know, last season was crazy, it was a one-off, and we're now coming back to the normality. And I think what last season did for those top six clubs, like Manchester United and, and Liverpool, and those sides finishing outside the top four, is it basically gave them a sense of, you know, a wake-up call and thought, look, mm. we can't take our foot off the gas at all here, because given the new TV money, clubs like Leicester can spend money and the strength of the Premier League means that we need to up our game. I think we've seen that from, from all the top six. You look at the calibre of managers they now have, the amount of money the likes of Manchester United and Manchester City spent in the summer. I think it's basically the top six have rewoken and then thought, OK, we need to get control of the league again because Leicester have inspired a lot of teams and we've seen it the likes of Everton are trying to spend money now and, and the belief that they can break into it. But... I think what we're seeing is basically a return to the norm and the way things usually are in the Premier League. Okay. Brilliant, Simon. Listen, thanks for that. We'll leave it there. No problem at all. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks for me on. Right, Ken Rooney is still with us. Ken is our fancy football expert and you can read hmm. his column 
every Friday in the Irish Examiner um, online, where he predicts the uh, where he gives his tips for the upcoming weekend in the Premier League. Um, Ken, basically, I've 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 hung in with the fancy football at least two months longer this season than I've ever, <laughs> yeah, done, I've ever done before. I've always I've usually abandoned it by the end of August, um, never making another substitution for the rest of the season. But the the promise of 200 quid at the end of this the year in the Irish Examiner Mini League has sort of seduced me into keeping it going for another few weeks. Um, what do you say to those people who have lost interest or, or who have sort of abandoned it, thinking they've fallen too far behind? Is there any way of reviving your season at this stage? There certainly is, you know. there's With the introduction of the chips in the last two seasons, that gives an opportunity for massive, massive swings. And hopefully people have hung on to them as they should. Because when you have a triple captain in a double game week, or bench boost in a double game week, it gives the opportunity for 100-point-plus game weeks easily. Oh, they're, they're what we call chips. Sorry, I didn't know the language around that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what a chip was there. That's it. So, yeah, you've, you've got three of those, is it, or four of those in the season? You, if you count... I suppose if you count your wild card, you have five, but there's, a, there's the bench boost, there's the all-out attack, yeah. and triple captain. Now, the all-out attack is... Much maligned, really. It does. It's not going to make a huge difference to your season at all. But the triple captain and and the others, they really give you an opportunity to have players really make a huge impact in, in terms of points. So if you have those, stay with it because if you play those absolutely correctly, you could make up sixty points maybe on your rivals in a single game week. So would the would the top top players as they say have already played those at this stage or would they be keeping them up their sleeves? Absolutely not. There's FPL veterans would have definitely not played these these chips uh, right. for good reason. Yeah, I certainly haven't, and uh, I know most most people I know haven't as well because they know the huge points that they can get later in the season once those double game weeks start coming through. That's bad news for me. Then I think think about really <laughs> <laughs> think about really uh, playing my cards. Um, but uh, in terms of formations then, uh, is, is there a favoured formation in fantasy football as well at the moment? Traditionally, 3-4-3 uh, three, three has been the most popular and it continues to be this season. But there is 3-5-2 is starting to become a lot more popular. Now at the moment, the top 1,000 teams will say 58% are still sticking with 3-4-3. Three, three. But there's been a gradual movement towards 3-5-2. Now there's almost 20% of them are going 3-5-2 because... There's a lot of really good midfield options, mm. especially with uh, Tottenham's resurgence and the comeback of Coutinho now, and people want to have five spaces for those midfielders. It's not it's not a bad way to go, and there's not there's not much good third strikers around, so people really want to invest in their midfield. So you've got you've got forwards like uh, like Sanchez, sort of that nominally down as midfielders. Who, yes, who, yeah, who and that's trying to get into their teams. Yeah, and the the changes in the real life football formations is having a big impact as well. With the wing back defenders like Baines and Alonso, yeah. who are really in essence playing in midfield, are being picked as defenders. So you really need to look out for those kind of out of position. I'd imagine the Spurs, uh, the Spurs wing backs would be attractive enough. Uh, yes, you're getting clean sheets and the odd assist as well, and the odd dive for a penalty as well. Yes, guys. yeah. <laughs> Rose is is the very de, de rigueur uh, player at the moment, and Walker, although he was a bit quiet for a while, is certainly coming back into contention now. Yeah. So, what are the uh, like? What are the this time of year? What are the the mistakes people make or have been making in the transfer market? Well, while I'd encourage people to look for differentials, that's those really low-owned players that can make a bigger impact than the players that everyone else has. People can get a little bit too adventurous. I mean, 
I'm just looking now. Uh, Holgate is one of the most transferred in players this week, and I mean he's he plays every fourth game, depending on when he's needed, depending mm. on when Everton would need a particular formation. And it's even though his price is attractive, it's it's just madness. It's just creating problems for yourself. And I always say in FPL, don't buy problems. FPL will provide <laughs> all the problems you need without you yeah. actually buying in more. And as well, um, you know, Macaulay is one of the most transferred in or transferred out, sorry, uh, defenders this week, just because he scored an own goal. And West Brom have a fantastic run of fixtures ahead of them. It's it's that short termism, I think, mm. that can really sting some players. And the the sort of the carousel of of, of, of getting Costa in and out and Aguero in and out is causing people a lot of grief as well. I think over the last uh, few mm, weeks. Yeah, I, I I took Costa out myself, but I, I didn't feel particularly good about it, and uh, <laughs> I brought Aguero in, and I didn't feel good about that. Feel too guilty about it. <laughs> yeah, but you this season as well. Those who have stuck by players, I think, have benefited because players have gone quiet for three or four matches and then really come back storming and made a big impact. So there's a lot to be said for sticking by a, a proven quality player. So the changing values that the Premier League, um, sort of whatever the algorithm they use to, to mm-hmm. value the players up and down, does that catch people out? Like if you, if you transfer out Aguero for a certain amount and find that his price has gone up or down when you want to buy him back... Does that sort of tend to snooker players? They have to, they have to sell a midfield or something to get them back into the team. Certainly, and I've, I've, made, I've been taking a lot of point hits, doing two transfers a week just to try and circumvent that, and it, it, it can be very frustrating. You can predict it. I mean, there's, there's websites out there where they give a pretty good indicator of when prices are going to go up and down. Uh, FantasyFootballFix.com is a good one. All right. Yeah. So you can keep an eye on that, and you can, mm. you can know with relative ease when a player is going up and down. Really. Now, the, now it's it's now past the midpoint of the season, so you need to kind of start focusing a little less on the prices of your players and more on the form and their fixtures ahead. Grant, I get the impression I haven't been doing quite enough homework on this one. Um, players to look out for maybe for the rest of the season? Any tips? Well, uh, I think Pedro is looking increasingly attractive. If if Costa stays out, he's he tends to play when Costa's not playing, and he's right there on the edge of the. Uh, Chelsea attack for only 7 million that's very good if he gets a regular place he's quite direct he tends to score when he's on uh, Stanislas for Bournemouth has in, is in excellent form and is only 5.2 I mean that's almost 5th midfielder territory that's that's amazing and if you if you are going to play 3-5-2 he'd be a great shout um, there's the usual no, Kane seems to be doing well the Tottenham midfield is fantastic Um They'd be my main ones. My, I suppose my big tip would be Baines at Everton. I mm. think he used to be, you know, seven million defender up until I think this season nearly, and now he is playing in a much more advanced forward role. He's on penalties. Everton will have gotten a lot of confidence from that Man City uh, win, and they kept a clean sheet. So I, he'd be he'd be my big tip, I think, because a, a defender scoring a penalty can turn an average game week into a really good one. Brilliant, Ken. Uh, you can read all Ken's tips every week in the on Irish Examiner online on Friday mornings. Um, that's all we have for you for this week. Um, just a bit of housekeeping there. The podcast is now available on Stitcher as well as SoundCloud and should be available on iTunes in the next couple of days. Um, talk to you next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.